If you would grab your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're going to be hanging out there for the night. Um, And if you weren't here last week, if you missed, I would make sure you jump on our website and then our men's page and catch Sean's message, which talked about uh, wounds and scars last week. I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. I didn't know I had that many scars or open wounds, but it was really good and ministered to me really well. Um, and so just for just to catch us up on really where we've been and what we've been doing the past eight weeks, if you would pull up, um, we've been talking about being a work in progress, and we've covered talking about anger We've talked about commitment, we've talked about anxiety, we've talked about weakness, we've talked about honesty, money, scars, and purpose. Andy, I think it's the next slide. And tonight, um, as we kind of bring this series to a close, I thought it would be helpful for us to talk about this idea of purpose. And we've covered all of these, we've worked through some of these, and and even if one of them, or, or maybe only one of them sticks out to you. As you've walked through, it was the one about anger, it was the one about anxiety or money or last week's scars. One of them has really ministered to you in a specific way. Uh, I would say for me, the one that really I felt like came home with me was just the one on anger. Uh, the night we talked about that, it was the first one. But tonight, what we're going to do is talk about purpose. All of us, as human beings, long for purpose. Um, You want to either belong to something or someone, and naturally, um, men can tend to be pretty lonely people. You, You get maybe lonely in your relationship, you get lonely in your work, you get lonely in, in just life in general, and what you'll start to do is, if you're like most men, you'll just believe that loneliness or the opposite of purpose, that Um, It was something that when you were young, you were optimistic about having purpose or significance. And then the older you got, the busier you got, the bills that started to weigh in, the family responsibilities that started to weigh in, maybe your purpose or longing for that, you just started to believe that, man, maybe God doesn't have a purpose or a plan for me. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he does for other people. And my goal tonight, my thesis tonight, is really to prove to all of us that whatever walk of life you've come in here tonight, God has given you a purpose, a meaningful purpose, a significant purpose, no matter how small it might feel to us, no matter how insignificant it might feel to us, being a a godly husband, being a godly dad, being a godly grandfather, being a godly worker in in an environment is a really big deal to God, that he has a plan and purpose for your life. And so what I've said every week is that God is more committed to your progress than you are. He's more committed to it. And, And I said, and someone corrected me tonight, I said, a lot of us take one step forward and what? We take two steps back. And someone said, tonight, if we did that the whole study, we'd been a mile backwards. And I said, some of us feel that way. So hopefully this series, you've taken maybe two steps forward and one step back. Or you've taken a step to the side or a step to the left. And what we have also said is this, and this is really important. You won't or you can't make progress alone. And you can't make progress apart from God. You can't make spiritual progress alone 
and you can't make progress apart from God. It says in Philippians 1, 6, before I get to Luke 15, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That God is working, he is doing things that we cannot see half the time. He's working in our heart, he's working in our mind, he's working in our circumstances, and he is helping us take a step forward as we take a step back. And he's walking with us hand in hand. So tonight, your first point in Luke 15 is this. We pursue purpose apart from the Father. We pursue purpose apart from the Father. It says this, and and just to give a quick context, Jesus is telling what is called a parable or a story. He's telling a story to a group of religious people. As it says in Luke 15, 1, it was tax collectors and on, on the other camp, sinners. These people, this large crowd had come in to hear him. He started to tell them a story that would have a spiritual truth in their life. It had a meaning in their life. And he was using a hypothetical family or a hypothetical person, but it had an application to their life. And Jesus says this in Luke 15, 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of, the prop- of property that is coming to me. Now, let's just talk about this for a second. A lot of you have read this story a thousand times. You've read this in the Greek. You've read this in the KJV. You've read this in the NKJV. You know the story. But just sit back and think about this story for a second. The younger son, who's always the favorite. Isn't the youngest always the favorite? How many youngest is in here? I'm the youngest. The young, if you're the youngest, raise your hand. You, get, you got away with a little bit more, right? So the youngest shows up and says, I would like to have my inheritance or whatever's coming to me when you die, I would like it early. Now, if your children ask you that, how does that conversation go? Don't tell me. Anyway, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. This is something every single one of us has done, are currently doing, or will do one day in our spiritual walk. Jesus is telling the story in the sense of all of us have in one sense taken things that God has given to us and we have said, God, I don't want you, I want your stuff. It talks about this in Romans 1. I mean, think about our country right now, just talking at a table beforehand. God, we don't want you, we just want what? We want your blessing. We don't want to follow you. We don't want to submit to you. We want your stuff as a creator, but we don't want to worship you as creator. This is exactly, if you have followed Christ for any amount of time, you would be able to look back on your own story and say, man, I remember a season like that. I remember a time like that when I wasn't following God. I was pursuing a purpose apart from the Father. I was pursuing a purpose apart from God. I was asking something or someone to be my God besides God. And this young son, the younger son, he goes off in reckless living. He squanders his wealth. He goes into, I mean, in in a cultural sense, um, for him to even ask this of the father, the father should have shamed him, right? They're in an honor-shame culture. 
He should have kicked him out of the house and said, good luck. But the father, in, in, in this story, the father gives it to him because Jesus, again, is telling a story here. And poor decisions usually, usually come out of isolation. And maybe you've experienced that. In 2 Samuel, Sean last week brought up uh, David and Bathsheba. It says in verse 1, I don't have it up there, but verse 1 in 2 Samuel 11 says that at the time when kings went out to war, David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. Aren't poor decisions you've made, if you think about in the past, they were made or they came out of isolation? Maybe you didn't have wise counsel helping you, or maybe someone told you something and the lesson that you had to learn was the hard way. You just had a thicker skull, right? You would rather learn from experience than from someone. You know, we, we said through Ecclesiastes that all of us have two, we can learn wisdom two kinds of ways. We can either heed instruction or we can learn the hard way from experience. And most, most poor decisions usually will come out of isolation. For David, King David, the worst decision of his entire life. The sin that he would do in secret and then would actually be his kid's sin in public and open before all, he made the decision in isolation. When he should have or could have been active in his spiritual battle, in a physical battle for God, he stays home. He's passive and he catches himself alone in the afternoon, lusting after a woman and ruins his entire life and other people's lives and his family and his generation and the generation after and the generational sin that continues. It's typically made in isolation, but for men, isn't isolation just easier? Isn't it just less work? I don't want to talk about my feelings. I don't want to talk, I, what, what am I supposed to say? Right? In isolation, it's just easier. You can cope better. It's, you don't want to go there. You don't want to find that place. It's not popular. It's not manly. And we would say in, in those isolated times, and you would know this maybe from the past, it's when you are the most vulnerable to the sin that you would find yourself in. It's when you're the most vulnerable, maybe the most vulnerable to lie, maybe the most vulnerable to get angry, maybe the most vulnerable to lust. It's in those isolated times. And that's why, I know in a sense I'm preaching to the choir right now because you're all here, uh, but that's why we have round tables and we would have times for you to open up and have the opportunity to say something to someone so that you wouldn't do life alone. That the worst version of me is typically the one that is isolated. Number two, our lack of purpose is experienced in isolation. Our lack of purpose is experienced in isolation. So sometimes you don't know you're lonely or you're isolated until something happens while you're lonely or you're isolated. And it goes on, Jesus tells the story. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. I have a few favorite verses in the New Testament. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke 15, 17 is my favorite verse. 
but when he came to himself. Hopefully most of you in this room would have a time where you would say, the light bulb went off. Where you would ask yourself the question, what am I doing? Everything just flashed before your eyes and you thought, I should not be doing what I'm doing. I shouldn't be living this way. I shouldn't be thinking this way. I shouldn't be treating my wife this way. I shouldn't talk to my kids this way. I shouldn't deal with my money this way. A moment where you come to yourself. And he said, he thought this in his head, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, so how, and how many of you have ever practiced a confession? You got to say something to your wife and you're like, okay, here's how it's going to go. You're on the way home. You're looking in the mirror. You're like, okay, I'm going to say this. She's going to say this. I'm going to apologize. And I mean, this will be five minutes. You practice the confession. And then when you get home, it's just you totally box the whole thing. And then you're fighting, they're yelling at you, and you're like, what happened, right? You practice your confession. He is practicing his confession to his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. When David sinned, what did he say? He said, I sinned against God. I sinned against heaven and before my father. And he realizes I am not worthy and my father should treat me as a hired servant. That is the relationship that I have now earned and the one that I deserve. And this idea that someone brought up recently, and I want to just, th just think about this. One thing we should do with isolation and solitude is we should not confuse isolation with solitude. We shouldn't confuse isolation with solitude because it says in Mark 135, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. This is Jesus. Jesus realized he needed solitude and time alone with the Father to pray. That solitude would be a time for him to spend with God. And the, the principle always is if Jesus needed time alone with the Father, you and I need time alone with the Father. Even if I had the time, I'll just share real quick. Abraham had an altar, a private altar uh, for himself to put on a sacrifice to God. And his family could see him sacrifice on that altar to God. And the principle would be for us that we should have an altar in our home, a place where we go and we get alone with God and we go to the Father. That if Jesus needs that, we need that as well. But we shouldn't confuse solitude with isolation. If I'm in solitude, it's a time where I go to God. I speak to God, I confess to God as a man, a time where I would stop and slow down and say, God, would you speak to me? I've been moving too fast, too quick for too long. Maybe for some of you, it's a place you go. It's, a, it's, the, it's the lake, it's, it's, a, it's a hike, it's a walk, it's maybe an old place you remember when you were a kid or maybe when you first met Christ, you would go to that place to have solitude and communion with God. But don't confuse solitude with isolation. It was Carrie Newhoff who said this, solitude is a gift from God. Isolation is a tool of the enemy. Solitude is something that we should take as men and say, as men, 
I want to set the example in my home, in my context, and spend time alone with God. I don't want my, the people around me to wonder, does he spend time alone with God? But I don't want is isolation where I'm so isolated that the enemy is able to help me break out against all sound judgment and not hear instruction or advice that I would sit in isolation. Solitude is a gift from God. Isolation is a tool of the enemy. Number three, purpose is found in right relationship with the Father. It says in Luke 15, 20. And he rose and he came to his father. Now, there's so much that I want to say. There's like a thousand things in my mind right now. The word father um, is in this story, in these verses, 11 to 32, 12 times. Father is a very, very unique New Testament language and wording. In the Old Testament, you can only find the word father 12 or 15 times. It was always used as national. It was the father of Israel. It's only used 15 times that they would say God is the father of the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, something crazy happens. Jesus comes and he teaches us how to pray. And what does he say? Our father. That it is now a personal relationship there is no historical record or commentaries or anything that they will say rabbis or priests in the, before Jesus' day, they would ever refer to God as a father. Jesus is teaching something crazy in this story. He's teaching more than just about the saving of this son and what he's going to do here in a second. He's teaching about a relationship with the father. 165 times Jesus refers to God as our Father. Majority of the time is in prayer. It's a very unique way in a shift that would take place. And he says, when he arose, he came to his Father. He realized as he was in the muck, as he was in the mire, he had come to himself, I just need to go back, I need to confess to my dad, I need to confess my sin to him, and he will take me back. I'm taking a risk here. And, and, and even... We need to put it, we know the story, but we need to put it in the context of what's taking place. For this to actually happen in this time and in this day and in this Jewish culture, this would not happen. They would never take their son back. They would, ne there was, I mean, it was honor, shame. There was shame on this son. Even if he came home begging and bringing all the money back, he had left the family. There's no way they would take him back. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Compassion is the number one emotion in the New Testament that Jesus experienced. In Mark 9 and Matthew 9, if you read through the New Testament, it's the number one emotion that Jesus felt. And the word compassion literally in the language has to do with a turning in your stomach. You ever felt a turning in your stomach, something so strong emotionally it led you into action? His father sees him and feels compassion. The son hasn't felt anything yet. The father sees him. He ran. The son has not ran. The father ran. He embraced him and he kissed him. Purpose is found in right relationship with the father. 
a lot of times we view a right relationship or even a purpose in our doing, in our being, in the things that we are trying to get. But God's purpose for you is found with him. God's purpose for you and God's purpose for me is found with him. It says in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his what? Workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Walk in them. Masterpiece. The, I mean, literally God's creation, his design. And he's telling this story to a group of religious people who have, they, they know the Bible, they would understand cultural context, they would understand. And these people are probably feeling infuriated that a father should not have this type of compassion. Go back to verse 20 for me, Andy. Should not have this type of compassion as the father is having for the son. The son hasn't even confessed anything yet hasn't said anything yet, just to be with his son. The word father is something that when you and I pray, how many of you have heard when you pray that father means the word dad or daddy, if you've heard that term? How many of you have heard that? When, when we pray, it's, it's daddy. I've heard someone pray, they said, daddy, God, one time I threw up in my mouth. I had no idea. I, th- I don't think we refer to our, our God, our father as daddy God, right? that we are grown men, we refer to God as our father. Even, even as, a, as a son, I refer to my dad as my dad or my father. If I want to get under his skin, I'll call him Dave. But we refer to uh, God as our father, right? Because we are men, right? We are men, and God understands that. You are a, a man. I'm a man, right? I, I have a mortgage. I have a job. I pay, my, I pay my bills. I would like to work. I don't like socialism. I'm a man, right? that we have a right relationship with, too far? Okay, not, not really, for some of you. Um, that we have a right relationship with our Father. And here is what is a massive, massive lie. Go back to Ephesians 2.10 for me, Andy. That it's being with the Father. When I was little, my dad could share the story. I, w- I think I was five or six years old. He would go to get his shoes on and sit by the door. Or no, he would just go sit at the chair that would go out the door. The story goes, I would run, I would put my shoes on, and I would say, Dad, where are we going? And he would say, we ain't going nowhere, I'm just sitting here. I was so anxious that he was going to leave without me, I just wanted to be ready. Where are we going? I just wanted to be with him. And it's the same analogy that this story is giving, that the father wants to be with the son, and the son wants to be with the father. There's this huge lie out there right now. Some of you have heard this, that they would say that the divorce rate inside, inside of the church is equally as bad as, the, as those outside of the church. You've heard this, right? You've heard it. adultery is just as bad outside of the church as inside the church. That, you know, they just say that the world and the church, uh, the men are equally doing bad things. Well, it's, it sounds good. It sounds like, yeah, that sounds right. Well, the problem is it's not true. Um, There was a study that was done um, from a guy named Brad Wilcox. He's actually a Catholic man. He did a study on Christian marriages and Christian men specifically. And he took, I think, 2,000 different uh, Christian marriages and men, and he looked at their marriages, he looked at their families, he looked at their stories and their workplaces. The stats came back, and he said, 
it goes to show, and you know someone gets the right research when they are saying uh, that their religion is wrong. What he said is this, as a Catholic man, the stats show a Christian man, their wives are happier, they're more committed at work, their children are happy to see them, and they love, they love their God that they serve more than any other religion. That that is true, that Christian men, Christian men are men who have, are in submission to a father. That you've heard, as men, we want to know, does this work? Does this work if I am in submission to my father? Does this work? Is this something that if I get behind is actually going to change my life, my marriage, and as we've said through this series, not just my life, but my legacy? And even someone who does stats, they, they came back and they said, Christian men are happier, their kids are happier to see them, their wives are happier that they're in church and they're studying their Bible. Relationship or purpose is found when we are with the Father, not just with ourselves. And number four, purpose is not about being better. So the story goes on to say, and I'll, I'll say a few things after this. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and he, here's the confession, and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, he didn't get to finish his confession. He didn't finish the phrase, treat me as one of your hired servants. You see, when we come to God, he has the right to just treat us as a sinner. But what's he do? He treats us as a saint. When we come to God, he has the right to treat us as unworthy, but he treats us as worthy because of Christ. The son does not get to finish all of his confession. It says in Psalm 139, before your word is on your tongue, I know it, says the Lord. He already knows. What I like to say, when someone is praying a confession of prayer for repentance, before it hits your throat, God says, come home. Before you can even start to explain your sin, how far you've gone, the bad things you've done, before you can get all of that confession out, God is already embracing you. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. It is, purpose is not found in being better. It is found, and Christianity itself is not about being better, which is a contradiction to the series, being a work in progress. Christianity is that we were dead, and now we are alive. We were lost, but we were found. Jesus did not come to make us better people, but rather, while we were dead, Christ died for us to make us alive in Christ. True purpose is not found in being better, doing more, finding out all the other things that we should do as Christians, but realizing, realizing what God has done for us and growing in that understanding, becoming alive in him. Purpose is not about being better, it's about being found. And number four, or number five, Purpose, I believe, is truly, is truly a choice. The crazy thing, and before I'll read this, I want to share this idea about the Father. I forgot to bring this up. It is the only relationship that, or the only title 
in the New Testament that God will share with us as a father. There's three relationships in my life that God has used to utterly change my life. My relationship with the Holy Spirit, I feel like whenever I got saved, the Holy Spirit came into my life, changed my life. The relationship with my wife and the relationship with my daughter. As the father, it is the only title that he shares with us as men. And if you're a dad, raise your hand if you're a dad. Let me just raise your hand. Okay, 98, 99% of us, you're a dad. Think about this for a second. God has shared his title with us. He has shared that title. So when my daughter, my goal is as early as the run is, that when she sees me, that she would smile and not feel shame. That she would be happy and not feel hurt that she would be excited and not want to run. Now, at this age, she hates, hates when I leave. Pounding on the door, yelling out the window, slamming on the window, yelling at me, dad, yelling. And when I get home, she's so excited she can't breathe. Now, I know that's a season. I know that's a season. But I'm going to embrace that season as long as I can because it is the most incredible thing in the world. And what I, what I think about is this, early on, early on, this is how a daughter or a son will feel with a father, early on. There's running, there's embracing, there's compassion, and there's kissing. And then later on, what's, what happens? It becomes familiar. They hit puberty, they hate you. They go to college, they don't know your name, right? They, they, I got to be careful here. They, it, it goes through these seasons, and I think there's a spiritual lesson here. How many of you would say when you first started to follow Christ, the excitement you felt, the purpose you felt? It says in Revelation 2, Jesus warned them they had forgotten their love at first. And he goes on to tell the story. I think purpose is truly a choice. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard the music and dancing, and he called one of the servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he had received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. This is his choice. He has a decision to make. Can he decide to celebrate with what God is doing or what his father is doing for us, or will he become bitter at the lack of experiencing whatever his brother is experiencing? You see, we have this weird thing in the church where we would say there are good stories of salvation and then boring stories of salvation, right? The, the strung out on drugs and alcohol, that's a good story. Grew up in church, got saved when they were six, been following Christ ever since. That's a boring story. I pray daily for that story over my kid, that she would know at that age she needs to follow Christ. There's no boring and exciting story. When someone is a dead and alive, every story is amazing. Amen? That is what, and here's he's teaching this principle. He's refusing to go in. Go to the next slide. His father came out, so his father sees him and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. So when you start to feel bitterness, here's what happens. We become irrational and dogmatic. 
I've never done anything wrong. You, you know kids. Do you think that's true? No, not a chance. I've never done anything wrong. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. You gave him a lamb. You gave him the fat or the fattened calf. You never give me. He starts to be dogmatic that I might celebrate with my friends. And he doesn't refer to him as a brother. But this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Here's what, there's a few things here. Purpose is a choice. D- getting to celebrate with what God has for you is a choice. I'm gonna pull this out just for a quick rabbit trail and then I'm gonna send you guys to your tables. One of the things that I believe is probably the most demonic thing that takes place in a Christian's life is unforgiveness and bitterness. Satan himself and the angels cannot experience forgiveness. They're the only created being that cannot come to God for forgiveness. It says in 1 Peter 1.12, they long to look into salvation because they cannot experience it. When you and I become bitter, we become resentful, we hear stories of salvation and we start to say, I know them, we'll see. We see someone get baptized and we doubt their salvation or we are resentful towards that. And I, I believe it is one of the most demonic things that we experience, or at least in our own lives, it's practical, unforgiveness and bitterness because Satan wants us to feel how he feels. He wants us to experience what he experiences. And the bitter brother that's referred to who, who decides, we don't get the end of the story. We don't get to see what happens to the brother. He sits on the outside. He watches the celebration of his younger brother. And there is something extremely spiritual going on here. It's a choice that he is making because in his eyes, he's never done anything that wrong. He's never sinned that much. He's never broken any of those commands. He's becoming irrational and he's starting to say things that are not true about the father. Now it's a parable, so you don't want to read into it too much, but I think there are applications here for us. When you and I choose not to forgive, choose to hold on, I believe it's what Satan and the demons would like us to believe and experience because it's what they feel the most. I gave you guys two questions at your tables. I'm going to give you guys plenty of time tonight, and I'll come up and wrap us up. So go ahead and take time at your tables. Well, it sounds like it took you guys just a a minute to get going here tonight. I want to finish us up real quick, and then if you guys obviously take time afterwards and share with each other and uh, pray for each other. Um, As we wrap up this series on being a work in progress, as always, thank you um, for letting me teach the Bible um, and you guys coming and being here. Um, I just, I mean, literally, I am encouraged every night on Thursdays just by being with you men and seeing you and talking and getting to share. Um, And hopefully you guys had uh, just some times to spark good conversation. And that is really the the center of the men's study. It's the table discussions and just to spark good conversation. Um, and I want to close out tonight just by ending with um, a clear, for, for some of you, as we've been talking, maybe it's your first time here, you've been coming a while, as we've been talking, you really feel like, man, you're 
on the outside looking in. That you don't feel like you can't, you can't understand some of the pieces to connect. You can't understand some of the illustrations to connect. That when you look back on your own life, you're, you, you really feel like something is missing. And as we were talking about having a relationship with the Father, you can't think of a time, you can't think of a, a day, you can't th- think of a season when you had a relationship with God. And as a church, as a follower of Christ, as someone seeking to honor God and all that we do, it says in Luke 15, 7, Jesus said right before this story, he said, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need it. And so if you're here tonight and you have yet to receive Christ, you've yet to accept Christ as your Savior, we can get amped up about 100 guys come in or more guys come in or different studies But God is more excited for one person who needs to accept Christ as Savior than the rest of us getting really big heads about the Bible. And if you need to make that decision tonight, it is really simple how you need to do that. And I always use this illustration to explain it, how there's four things when when I explain the gospel. Four things, really. I bring up the idea of God, that God is perfect and holy and just. He is the creator God. He is the God who created you and gave you life and gave you breath and the air and the life you have. He's given us everything we need. And that you and I have sinned. It's the second thing in the gospel that we bring up. That there is something wrong with you and I. That we don't love God as we ought. We don't worship him as we ought. That you, you read through the story as we were reading through and you said, man, I feel like I have sinned against God in the same way feel like I have fallen short of the standard he's asked me to keep that I just can't keep. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that while we were yet sinners, he comes and he dies in your place. He lives a perfect life you can't live. He dies a death you cannot die. And he rises from the dead. That Jesus Christ rose again from the dead changed human history, changed our timeline. Christians and non-Christians will agree that someone rose again from the dead 2,000 years ago. And Jesus did that, and then he gives us a, op, the opportunity to respond. It says in Romans 10:9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, saved from what? We are saved from our sin. I usually will explain we can uh, do one or two things with our sin. We can pay the penalty for our sin for eternity apart from God in a place called hell. And hell is very real. We don't talk about hell a lot often in in churches or even in uh, communities or with friendship. Hell is very real. Um, Hell keeps me up some nights thinking about the reality of hell. It's not for a weekend, it is for eternity. And if we don't have a relationship with Christ, we will spend eternity there. Or we can accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You confess, God, I'm a sinner. I put my faith and trust in what you did on the cross. Would you come into my life? And you're probably sitting there thinking, that is just too easy. Jesus said in John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, that you now get to call God as father. And that simple prayer of confession 
is the only prerequisite for you to have a relationship with God. That is why we are here. That is why we do what we do. And if you have yet to make that decision, why not tonight? Why not tonight? What else would God have to do? What else would he have to send your way? We believe that's the most important thing as followers of Jesus and that you would make that decision tonight. So if you need to, why not right now? Why not before you leave? Why not with the guys who brought you? And for some of you, you might be thinking, I've been coming here for a long time, but I, I don't, I've never known, I don't know the gospel message. I didn't know the simplicity of it. I didn't understand it. And if you're having that right now, I believe the Holy Spirit is just pricking your heart. It was Monday morning. I had a totally different message set out, and it was 11 o'clock, and I felt the Lord speak to me very clearly about Luke 15, and I felt like this was totally it. And I just felt like the Father, the purpose, the illustration there being dead and alive, being lost and found. And God anticipates, anticipates you coming home to him, arms wide open, not a regret in anything he's done for you. While you were sinning, Jesus died for you to have a relationship with you. So why not make that decision tonight? Would you guys stand as I pray for you? Lord, I feel along with the Apostle Paul who says, we are not peddlers of God's word. Who is sufficient for these things? We are of all people most to be pitied if Jesus does not rise from the dead. And God, we are thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for this night. We're thankful for all the ways in which you bless us. God, we thank you for this series that we are all a work in progress. We don't stop progressing. God, would you help us to have the right relationships with men around us and the right relationship with you to continue to be a work in progress until the day you take us home. And God, for anyone in here tonight, you've just been really working on their heart and their mind over the past weeks or months or even tonight. God, that you have just been, you've just, their heart is racing. They, they're trying to put all these things together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give them the courage, Lord, to talk to someone. They'd be reminded, as we said, and David said, before it's on your tongue, God already knows what you have to say. And he wants to listen. So if you're here tonight and you need to cry out to God for to salvation, why not tonight? Why not right now? Why not with the guys who brought you? And whatever anyone else is thinking, you put all that aside and it's about your eternity with God. To be the man that he's called you to be. The husband and the father he's called you to be. Lord, we are so thankful for you. We are thankful that you bring into completion the work you've started in us in Christ and with us. So God, help us to follow you closely. I'm so thankful for the men being here for this study and allowing us to walk through this together. I pray that we would be godlier men in a culture that seems to be further walking away from Christ. Would you help us to be a light in a dark place wherever you've put us? Give us strength, give us wisdom, and give us courage. We pray this in all God's people said. Amen.